Shortly after finishing our retreat in Maui, a group of the local Sangha came and helped us take down the retreat center and, and we store it until our next retreat. And at the end of that activity, an afternoon of activity, there were some kitchen supplies left over and included in them was several packages of wheat-free, sugarless, dairy-free, tasteless, chocolate chip, less chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) And I asked, I asked one of the fellows who was helping us, I said, oh, would you like a box of cookies? And he said, oh, what are they? And I told him, he said, there are some things in life I can do without. And that got me to thinking (laughs) about what it is in life that we can do quite well without. This path of awakening can be understood in any number of ways, but one way that I find particularly Uh, useful and uh, supportive of the practice that you're doing, that we're doing, is to understand that awakening is really a process of cultivating and developing certain qualities of mind, certain qualities of heart. And in the Buddhist tradition, one set of those qualities is known as the, the paramis, those forces of purity in the mind that are developed through awareness and are brought to perfection in the awakened mind. And these forces of purity are not so esoteric or so remote to us. They're the the force of generosity, of patience, truthfulness, energy, they're qualities of heart and mind that we all have. But in the practices that we undertake, these qualities are brought to the forefront of our mind so that they are the vehicles of our relationship to others and to the situations and conditions of our life. One of these paramis, one of these forces of purity in the mind that we cultivate and develop is the power of renunciation. After the same retreat that I just spoke about, I got two comments from local Sangha members about the retreat. One said, great retreat, I loved all the Dharma talks, all the instructions, everything except that talk on renunciation. So I knew, well, there must have been something about that that was appropriate. And the other, the other comment was, I've never heard a renunciation talk that wasn't more applicable to monastics than to lay people. And so, can you speak about that? So this is my response. Tonight I want to speak about renunciation and to, to show really how renunciation is not as scary a practice as it might sound like. You know, we do not have a lot of role models for renunciation in our culture. We do not. (laughs) But each of us has within us an appreciation of the relief that comes from practicing it. You know, it's, it's not so far away. I mean, you know when 
some social event that you felt obligated to go to was canceled? That's renunciation. That's the feeling of renunciation. It's a feeling of relief. It's not, you know, sometimes when I used to think of the word renunciation, I got this image in my mind of, you know, the bodhisattva undertaking his most austere, severe ascetic practices, you know, anorexically thin, and, you know, eating one grain of rice every, you know, week or whatever it was. And it's just like, oh boy, if that's the, if that's the high bar of renunciation for spiritual attainment, forget it. I'm not interested, really. And so when I heard the word renunciation, it didn't seem even close to what I wanted to do or what it seemed like I was capable of doing for a spiritual practice. But really, renunciation is not that far away. It's close. It's something that we all have practiced a lot and have benefited from a lot even before we started Dharma practice. I want to speak about renunciation both as a force of purity in the mind. It is the cultivation and the uh, development of this quality of non-attachment. It's also a direction to aspire to. I'm sure you've seen in your life or here in retreat how obsessed the mind can be on some person or behavior or activity or knowledge or something that you know if you acquired or partook of or engaged in would not offer you the satisfaction that all your hankering seems to want. We've seen over and over again that the imagination is sometimes more rewarding than the attainment. So, if we see that renunciation is really in the direction of our practice, it, it's, it's more an aspiration. Not that we have perfected it by any means. There's always something more to be let go of. And as a direction of practice, we can use renunciation as a practice. We can practice renunciation intentionally. And the result of practice is also renunciation. As we develop the understanding, the steadiness of mind, the understanding, the openness of heart, we can do quite well without a lot of the distractions and crutches and supports that hold us in our very busy and full and distracted life. And as we learn to let go, the result of practice is renunciation. The Buddha, in speaking about renunciation, said, lose the greed for pleasure. Let go of the greed for pleasure, the attachment to pleasure. See how letting go of the world is peacefulness. There is nothing that you need to hold on to, and there is nothing that you need to push away. You know, we have these two images of, or two understandings of, awakening. There's the image I mentioned of the ascetic, striving, tortured, bodied bodhisattva. And then there's the image of, or the understanding of, the Buddha who has awoken, experiencing this end of suffering at all times, radiantly happy 
and having radiantly ha- happy in having renounced everything. So where is renunciation really for us? Is it the ascetic, torturous path of renunciation? Or is there some way to kind of skip that and get right to the happiness without? (laughs) Being on retreat here is a great act of renunciation. And for most of us, it's not difficult to want to be here. We want to be here. It's something that we get, we look forward to, we plan for. We, it's difficult and it's challenging, as we all know. But on the other hand, it's something that we really want to do. And so we take this opportunity to be, to let go of the familiar friends and family and social lifestyle that we live, and we do without our own home, our bed, our familiar distractions, and we're, we're happy for it. It is also, not, not only do we get this immediate relief of not having to deal with all that, but we're planting seeds in every moment of doing without, we plant powerful seeds of renunciation that are sure to bear fruit of happiness. Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche was a extraordinary teacher of the last century. And he made a statement about renunciation which is useful to hear as an articulation of the far end, the outside edge of renunciation. He said, renunciation implies the strong wish to free oneself not only from life's immediate sorrows, but from the seemingly unending sufferings of samsara, the vicious cycle of conditioned existence. With it comes a heartfelt weariness and disillusionment with the endless quest for gratification, approval, profit, and status. Renunciation is the expression of this heartfelt weariness and disillusionment with the endless quest for gratification, approval, profit, and status. We all have felt the endlessness of this insatiable quest and the unsatisfying nature of achieving gratification, approval, profit, and status. On the other hand, we have all practiced renunciation and seen the benefit of that. One way that we have all benefited from practicing renunciation. Remember when you were a child and you had a favorite toy? A doll, a bike, marbles, a board game, something. And you couldn't, you know, you get quite obsessed and possessive and you get totally infatuated with it. You get totally wound up, entangled in it for a period of time, you know, a week, a year, whatever it is. And that object or that thing just provides you with so much joy and happiness and satisfaction and behind the scenes the suffering of that attachment. 
where is that doll now? Or where is that bike now? Where is that thing that provided so much meaning and value and enjoyment to you? You outgrew it. Just like that. It stopped being a source or a vehicle for your gratification. It stopped being meaningful to you. And when it did, you let go. Just abandon it. Could care less about it. And you just drop it. That's renunciation. And there's nothing difficult or painful or ascetic or challenging about that. When you recognize that you have that you no longer receive that kind of fulfillment, it's easy to let go. To give it up. To just abandon it wherever it is. We have not stopped growing. Even though we reached adulthood, age, I should say, adult age, we're still growing. You know, we, we haven't given up everything. We are still giving up. We're still outgrowing things. I remember in my early years, early adult years, I was totally uh, consumed with the Grateful Dead, as you know, as many of you know. And when they went on tour, I went on tour. And there was, there's nothing like a Grateful Dead concert. And it was very enjoyable. And it was a very time-consuming, all-consuming activity. And then I started meditating and came on retreat here, and I was on staff here. And one time, as luck would have it, I was doing a two-week retreat here, the last day of which there was a dead concert in Providence, just an hour away. So I said, hey, what could be better? Spend 14 days clearing out the mind, getting sensitive, getting really open, and go to a concert. <laughs> okay. Just like mainlining the dead. Okay. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> so I got in the car, went to the concert. It was so painful. It was so oppressive. It was so unfulfilling, unsatisfying. The concert hadn't changed. The music hadn't changed. It was the same vibe, same whatever. It was no longer satisfying. The end of my dead days. Just recognizing that just outgrown that is no longer... I did go to a couple more concerts, but <laughs> later. But not expecting the same kind of sense of myself, reinforcement of this is who I am. So we continue to grow just in age and experience. When we begin practice and we make practice really a central part of our life, we grow in directions that we may not even know. And we may grow out of infatuation with or entanglement with behaviors and activities and people and lifestyle and not recognize it until sometime later. A friend of ours lived in Seattle for a number of years, worked there, retired, lived in Santa Fe for a couple of years after that. And then he came to Maui to work with Kamala and I. And in the moving to Maui, he lived, he, he chose to live in a very quiet area, quite a lot of solitude, live alone. And it, the lifestyle that he lived was quite different than in Seattle. And after he'd been there for a year and getting quite comfortable with, with his life and work on Maui, he 
planned a trip back to the mainland where he was going to go and visit his friends, some in San Francisco and Santa Fe and Seattle and around. And he was so excited about going on this trip. And so he went. And when he came back, I asked him about it. And he said, it really was very disappointing. He went and he stayed with his friends. And he saw how, not just their lifestyle, but the lifestyle he used to live was so distracting, so noisy, so busy, so empty of what he had grown to find enjoyable in solitude and silence and presence of mind. And he realized that without him knowing it, he had just let go, renounced the the activity, the distraction that was so enjoyable to him. When we spend, as you are here, three months or six weeks, really immersing yourself in the minutia of your mind, your heart, and really coming to understand your life from a Dharma perspective, if you will. You let go of a lot. You let go of a lot of entanglement and attraction to distraction that you may not even know. When you leave or you go back to retreat or as many of you have, when you've returned home from a retreat previously, sometimes you see how empty it looks, how disillusioned you become with what was so meaningful before you went on the retreat. This is, this is renunciation. This is, this is letting go at a, deep, at a very deep level, not just from this willful, oh, I've got to let go because it's a spiritual thing to do. It's like you want to let go. You're happy to let go because it's so much of a relief. It's so peaceful. So you might ask yourself, what is it that I have outgrown? What behaviors, what activities, what you know, habits have you really outgrown, either through just maturing as a human being or through the maturation of your Dharma practice? Sometimes we hold on to habits and behaviors and people out of what? Some fear of change? Let's hope we don't have any fear of change. I mean, That's all we see here, isn't it? So through outgrowing and abandoning, we actually practice and receive the benefit of renunciation. A second way that we practice renunciation or experience renunciation is through self-control, through physical discipline, if you will. And this is where our image of renunciation as hard work, you know, doing what you don't really want to do, or not doing what you really do want to do, takes place. Again, in my earlier adult years, I used to smoke tobacco and other things, but tobacco. And I really like smoking. I really enjoyed smoking. And then, you know, I woke up enough to get the message, smoking is really dangerous, it's really harmful, it's, it's, it's killing you. And at some, at some point, I let, I let that in to my mind. And the knowledge of the consequences of my actions, the potential consequences, became so present in my smoking that it encouraged me and and I 
ultimately gave up smoking. And it wasn't easy, and it wasn't fun. Now I look back and say, I'm glad I did that 30 years ago, or whatever it was, 40 years ago, 35. And I see that my fear of the consequences, that knowledge made it easy to try to give up, to willfully stop doing something that was very enjoyable. It was socially enjoyable, it was physically enjoyable, it was enjoyable. Now, when we come to Dharma practice, we hear a wide range of teachings. In one area that we hear the teachings is practicing sila, keeping the precepts, not harming, through not killing, not stealing, using your sexual energy in a uh, careful way, speaking in a way that supports harmony in your relationships, and not using intoxicants to the point of heedlessness. Now, most of us are not rampantly unrespectful of ourselves or others. And yet, we all have had our times of careless sila, and we've seen the results. We've seen that the, the confusion or the physical danger or the, the, the confusion in our relationships and the, the confusion in our own mind that can, that can come through not practicing sila. And so we may be encouraged and by our knowledge and by instruction from teachers to to really consider how to practice sila in our life, how to how to really take sila as uh, a practice in life so that we minimize unhappiness, so that we have a greater chance of happiness. And in doing so we practice renunciation. We let go of some momentary pleasure out of fear, sometimes fear, of the consequences if we don't. That kind of fear, fear of consequences, is not an unhealthy fear. This is a wise fear. This is wisdom speaking to you that says, there may be some karmic consequence to this activity. If you're afraid of the karmic consequence, that's wisdom. And so knowledge, the knowledge of consequences, the anticipation of consequences can be a powerful support for letting go of behaviors, activities, which though pleasurable, have the potential to cause a tremendous amount of pain. The Buddha said of this kind of understanding, this kind of activity, even though the pleasure is great, the regret is greater. He went on to say, It's easy to do that which is of no real benefit to oneself. But it is very difficult indeed to do that which is truly beneficial and good. It's easy to do that which is of no real benefit. But it's very difficult to do that which is really beneficial and good. Here on retreat we take course, the five precepts, and it's not a stretch. It's, it's pretty easy, isn't it? Take the five precepts and pretty much, sometimes. Is it easy? Are we really keeping the precepts? Is there some way to stretch our commitment, to grow in commitment to the precepts? 
Some of you I know have taken eight precepts. This is a willful and intentional extension of your practice of renunciation. And it's, it's useful. It's, you know, it's not like there's a lot of dancing and singing and entertainments and distractions to be involved in here. And I have yet to see a luxurious bed. <laughs> and so the only thing that you're really working with is not eating after the noontime meal which for a variety of reasons is a great, it's a great practice that supports practice if you're able, if you're interested in that. But it's a way of practicing renunciation intentionally. Later one of us will be speaking on the benefits of taking eight precepts. But there are other ways that we can and do extend ourselves a little more in the practice of renunciation while here on retreat. You know the bulletin board out there? <laughs> you know, you know the bulletin board? Grand Central Station? How many times a day do you look at it? Maybe hoping that there will be something for you, finally, a note. How often is there something for you? When I was on retreat here years ago, I was reminded that I wasted a lot of energy at the board, at the building board. And it was suggested to me, as I am going to suggest to you, that you might consider looking at the building board once a day. Once a day. I know you have to walk by it a lot, but you don't have to look at it. Because in some way, it's, it's a distraction. It's, a, it's an anticipation. It's a scanning where your eyes are just kind of commenting on everybody else who got notes or whatever. And if you get a note, there's that whole rush of excitement until you find out what's in it and, and maybe it's not so exciting. There's nothing so urgent here, really, that you've got to look five, six, eight, ten, twelve times a day. It's... It's really not that busy here. <laughs> you, know, you can let go. You, you can let go of the bulletin board. And, and, and I, suggest, I, recommend, I suggest it and recommend it just, just to see what that practice of renunciation is. How intentionally practicing renunciation, it puts some pressure on your mind. You, know, you can't have your usual avenues of distraction. But in the process, you conserve a tremendous amount of energy for practice. Try it. See. See for yourself. I mean, if, if that is a support for your practice. This kind of renunciation through physical discipline or self-control, intentional, willful uh, controlling of activity, behavior, is really the practice of simplifying your life. How much of your activity here, or in life, can you do without? Just in simplifying. Because as we simplify our life, and really pare down the unnecessary and distracting behavior, it's such a relief. It's such a feeling of one time after the three-month retreat, Kamala and I went home, and we took a couple days to unwind, went to the resort, spent some time, and had a great meal, at the end of which we looked at the dessert menu, picked the most chocolate thing there was on it, and ate it. After which, we felt a little overloaded. And so in a rash moment of renunciation, I said to Kamala, I'm done with chocolate. I'm not going to eat chocolate for a year. And she said, what? 
What'd you say? I said, I'm, I think I won't eat chocolate for a year. She said, why would you ever want to do that? Because I was addicted and habituated and quite blind to everything else on the dessert menu. So I just said, well, why not? Let's, I think I'll just try it just to see what it's like. Well, she said, okay, maybe I'll try it too. It was good to have the support. It really wasn't difficult. I mean, having made a resolute, in my mind, it was just totally resolute. It's just, there was no going back. There was no cutting corners. It was just, well, there was a little corner. (laughs) (laughs) No, on the airplane, once in a while, they serve ice cream with chocolate. So we allowed that one. But other than that, okay. You wouldn't believe how many good desserts there are that don't have chocolate. (laughs) But just in seeing how we get habituated to certain behavior, certain activity, thinking that it's so rewarding, it's so satisfying, it's so enjoyable, and so necessary, it's not. It's not. We can cut it out of our life and get along quite well without it. And yet, if we don't see that in our self, and don't challenge ourselves, or don't don't really test ourselves, we can be consumed, obsessed by distraction. And so it's helpful. It's really helpful to look at your life and, and just to pick a few things that are like that in your life and practice renunciation, intentionally practice renunciation. Now, this is not about being, you know, becoming a spiritual athlete, where you're you're really going for some I should be. Take something that's got nothing to do with spirituality, like chocolate, and just develop that. See what it's like to develop that quality of non-attachment. Doing without, simplifying your life. We abandon behaviors and activities when we grow up. We intentionally practice, sometimes temporarily, sometimes more permanently, letting go. There's another kind of renunciation that we're practicing here a lot and that is renunciation through mental discipline. In here we're talking about undertaking the practice of awareness training, mindfulness training, and seeing our habits of mind and not indulging in them. We have habits of mind. You're aware habits of mind. Mostly the the rampant hindrances in all of their forms. If we're not practicing, the hindrances have a heyday. They are just in full bloom. When we practice, we confront these habits, and even though it is difficult and it's challenging, it's a struggle, and a lot of the time we'd rather not. We'd rather just indulge sleepiness, desire, and fantasy, and, you know, ranting about something. When we finally get sick of our ranting mind and put it aside, when the hindrances get put aside through just the continuity of attention, the mind takes great delight in knowing things unhindered. And so the mind gets light, delightful, buoyant, rapid. It just gets really enjoys practice. Some of you see that. Some of you experience that in a, in a, in a, 
very dramatic, sometimes subtle, but sometimes very dramatic ways. How delighted the mind is to be unencumbered by these habitual habits that hinder mind. Fantastic. Well, that's only the opening of the door to the joy and happiness that renunciation brings. When we put aside our habits, fantastic. When we can put aside that, you know, the wow, this is fantastic, put that aside, it gets subtler and subtler and subtler. The mind goes through a whole range of joy and ecstasy and happiness, uh, contentment, to very subtle states of mind that can only be experienced from letting go. Only be experienced from letting go. Letting go of pleasure brings you delight of the mind. Letting go of delight of the mind brings this happy comfort of the mind and body. Letting go of that brings this equanimity, that just just unshakable equanimity in the face of either pleasure or pain. Letting go of that allows you access to the unconditioned. Not by getting, grabbing, hanging on, seeking for, reaching for anything, but from just letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go, renouncing. Renouncing, renunciation is the path to enduring subtle happiness. We see that in practice. We see it in subtle and and very obvious, sometimes very obvious, sometimes very subtle ways. But this is the path of renunciation through mental discipline, training the mind, letting go. The Buddha said of, of this kind of practice of renunciation, if by renouncing a lesser happiness one attains to a happiness that is greater, then let the wise person pursue that happiness which is greater. We're not saying that pleasure isn't great. We're not saying that joy and ecstasy isn't a type of happiness. The Buddha said, there's something better than that. But the only way to access it, to attain it, to receive it, to experience it, to realize it, is through letting go, practicing renunciation. There's one further experience of renunciation that I want to speak about. And it's really the, the goal or the direction that our practice here is taking us. And that is renunciation through understanding. As we practice mindfulness, and our understanding of an insight into the three characteristics grows. You know the three characteristics? Dukkha. I'm sure you've heard about Dukkha. Anicca or impermanence. Dukkha is the unsatisfactory nature of experience. Anicca is the impermanent nature of experience. Anatta is the ephemeral nature of experience. As our practice deepens and we come to see and and really live from the place of these characteristics. We're not just kind of overlaying the understanding everything's changing on our experience, but we're really living it from the inside out. Everything is changing. There's a radical renunciation in the mind. When the insight into anicca or impermanence ripens, when we see how transitory, how quick, how momentary everything is, the mind, even more than we ourselves, but the mind sees there's nothing to hold on to. We might still want... We still conceive of something, but the mind is seeing through that conception. 
to how impermanent and transitory it all is anyway. The mind will let go because there is nothing there from moment to moment to hang on to. It's not, it's not like it's a struggle to hang on to what isn't there. It's easy to hang on to what isn't there, to let go of what isn't there. Of this understanding, Suzuki Roshi says, true renunciation is not giving up the things of this world, but in knowing that they go away. True renunciation is not giving up the things of the world, but in knowing that they go away. Insight into a nature impermanence. The insight into dukkha, the painful or the unsatisfying nature of experience. The dukkha is really the inability of experience to provide an enduring satisfaction. That's what dukkha means the inability of experience to provide an enduring satisfaction. When we're living in a moment-to-moment understanding of dukkha, the characteristic of dukkha, and the mind is knowing in every moment the inability of this experience to provide satisfaction, stability, it will not hang on. The mind won't hang on. It's painful, it's unable to. The mind knows that. The the wisdom factor of the mind is seeing clearly that this thing in front of you, this moment's experience, physical, mental, personal, impersonal, whatever it is, is incapable of providing that satisfaction. The mind won't pick it up. Not even for a moment. This is renunciation through insight. Nessa Rappaport wrote of this understanding, she said, this is the teaching of suffering that the world you occupy divides itself into two parts. Here is what matters, the rest, no. When you really understand dukkha, here is what matters, the rest, we don't pick it up. Insight into dukkha, radical renunciation, The third insight is an insight into anatta. It's into the characteristic that all phenomena is essentially insubstantial, has no inherent essence or existence in itself. We experience this understanding when we see how evanescent, how uh, insubstantial experience really is, whether it's the physical sensations in the body, the thoughts or feelings, emotions, plans, intentions in the mind, they are less substantial than a dust moat. And when our understanding contains that understanding. There is nothing to hang on to. It's not like we have to let go. We see that there is nothing to hang on to. Again, it leads to this radical renunciation. This inability of the mind to pick up anything. We are encouraged to
see this understanding in this, these words from the Diamond Sutra where it says, see all of this world as a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, flickering lamp, phantom, a dream. Whatever it is in your life, in your practice, in your sitting, in your mind, in your body, see it as insubstantial as a bubble in a stream. Through developing these insights, through developing our mind, realizing these insights into impermanence, dukkha, anatta, we give up the misunderstanding that keeps us grasping, holding on. The practice we do here leads us to this understanding. Renunciation does not have to be this severe deprivation of things that we need and want. But really, renunciation is acknowledging what is no longer necessary and being willing to let it go. The Buddha once again. Whoso has turned to renunciation, turned to detachment of the mind, is filled with all-embracing love and freed from the thirsting after life. Whosoever has turned to renunciation, turned toward detachment of mind, filled with all-embracing love and freed from that thirsting, grasping, seeking after. Let's sit for a minute and let the words settle down. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.